welcome everybody to the next episode of the Uncharted 80s podcast. We made it again, Noel. We've made it. <laughs> Thanks for all your great feedback. Uh, really appreciate it. That just keeps on coming, which is great. Please do subscribe if you can. If you can leave a five-star review, if you think we're worth it, that's great. Um, and, and that helps us with the uh, the podcast charts. And, of course, we're also now um, still on YouTube, so you can you can listen on there as well. And, and as I'm hoping you, uh, some of our regular listeners will know, this podcast is about going on a journey back in time to explore those hidden gems of the 1980s music scene. We're going to dive into a world where those 80s bands perhaps flew under the radar uh, and left a lasting impact on the music landscape in our view. Uh, get ready to uncover the forgotten melodies, untold story and musical treasures that deserve a spotlight. What we'll do is we'll share, as we did in the previous podcasts, we'll share clips and there'll also be a Spotify playlist as well. And I'm here with my good buddy, Noel, who is as keen and as passionate as I am about all those bands, which is great. And as you know, we do research the show from a variety of sources, but if you've got any feedback, and some of you have already given us that, which is great, whether we need correcting or just want some additional information, then, of course, you can contact us on either our Facebook page or on podcast at uncharted80s.com, which is our email address. Thanks very much. Right. On to business. So, uh, Noel, who yes. have you brought to the table this week? I've brought a banging band, a classic band, a band that uh, I've loved and I know you do, and uh, as well, a B-movie. So they um, they were around from eighty to eighty three with an original lineup. Then that kind of changed a bit, and uh, they sort of throughout the eighties had a kind of revolving number of different players, and they've been popping up over the years. To be honest with you, and in fact, are still going now, and even did a gig quite recently. So they're they're still going strong. They have a massive fan base, particularly in America, actually. Um, so they just to give you the background. So they're from Mansfield in Nottinghamshire, and. Uh, Back in late 78, there was a punk band there called The Aborted. And uh, a couple of the guys who went on to B-Movie met, met Steve, the singer, and uh, joined together and started B-Movie. So, so the band members, uh, Steve Hovington on lead vocals and bass, uh, Paul Statham on guitar, uh, Rick Holiday on keyboard, and Graham Buffy on drums. Um, so those guys all got together. And initially, they were playing... Uh, I suppose you'd call it sort of classic post-punk new wave type stuff before they started to really pick up the influence of the, the synth pop type stuff. So initially they were influenced by bands like The Cure and uh, Magazine, those kind of bands. Um, but then uh, Steve had always been a massive fan of uh, of Ultravox in the John Fox era. Um, obviously fantastic early, fa early yeah, great stuff thing, yeah, yeah brilliant stuff that was um, all that, all the stuff that they did then and obviously they introduced more of the synth pop from there so they initially were 
playing a few gigs around and about, and they played gigs uh, around the, you know, the kind of Midlands area, and used to play a little bit in Lincoln. Uh, they actually got involved with a, a Lincoln-based record label called Dead Good Records, so they got signed by them, uh, a small small label, obviously, and um, they uh, they were on, a, on an album that they they put out of uh, Lincoln-related bands or bands from Lincoln or, or bands on their label uh, called East, a Lincoln compilation. And uh, they did a, a song, a great song, before The Sims called Refugee. So that's interesting because uh, that seems to be a trend, doesn't it, about those uh, bands in the early 80s where they had those, I don't know, those various artists' albums. Because we found that with Screen 3. They were on a uh, one of those that album that they had. They did, indeed. It's, it's an interesting thing. It's sort of like a, a kind of cutting your teeth, isn't it, you know, before you, before you take off. And, uh, yeah, you know, I know a lot of the bands over the years that we've liked as well have tended to self-press the single as well rather than be on yes. a compilation album. But one or the other route seems to be the, the way forward, doesn't it? In the, in the case of uh, B-Movie, in 1980, they had a couple of EPs out, actually, on Dead Good Records. And one of the EPs had the really early version of Remembrance Day, and one had a really early version of Nowhere Girl on it. Okay. Um, so that's definitely then in... one song, Remembrance Day and Nowhere yeah. Girl, are the, probably, for me, the two most common uh, songs that are that I remember. Exactly. I mean, it's uh, it's interesting because these days, if you look into it, the um, Nowhere Girl is now actually regarded as a definitive 80s classic in, in terms of synth pop. You know, and in America, they absolutely love it and uh, gets quoted quite a lot. And uh, in fact, I think I was reading a, a novel or something the other day that even mentioned it. So it's it gets it gets a lot of attention still with that song. Yes, so they they having done the 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 EPs with uh, Dead Good Records, with kind of early versions of stuff. They were then signed by a guy called Steve-O, who was the founder of Some Bizarre Records. Yes, Steve-O. So, yeah, remember. so you remember yeah. Some Some Bizarre? Yeah. Obviously, they were their I big do. band was Soft Cell, of course. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, but they had a lot of other sort of unknown upcoming synth type bands as well. They they had there was an album again a compilation on Some Bizarre called the Some Bizarre Album. And they, they were on there, along with other bands who at the time were unknown, who were Depeche Mode, Soft Cell, Blamange and The The. So that sounds like a classic album. I'm going to go and find, go and find a, that one. What a compilation. <laughs> yeah, what a, it's going to be worth finding that one for sure. Then they're kind of associated with other record labels as well. And uh, in 81, uh, this is where they first hit my personal radar. They released Remembrance Day. Rest in 
to number 61 in the UK charts, hence why we are the Uncharted 80s podcast and not the top 10 unated yes, <laughs> podcast. Nice. Uh, but that, I mean, again, absolute classic, classic, brilliant song. After that, in 1982, they released another great song called Marilyn Dreams. And that didn't even get in the chart, which is completely shocking because it was just an absolute banger. You know, it sounds fantastic. Well, that's a new one on me, I have to say. Yeah, yeah no, great song. Um, and then in 82, of course, the big one, which people would still talk about today, was Nowhere Girl. Uh, that was that was uh, that got to number 67 in the chart in this version of it got to number 67 in the UK chart. But as I say, over the years, it's become more and more an enduring sort of song and, 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 and one that's you know much loved. You know, yeah. So um, they after 83, at the end of that particular American tour, that's when the original lineup of the four guys split up a little bit. Um, so the Steve, Paul, Rick and Graham uh, sort of parted ways a little bit. Uh, Steve and Paul re- remained on as the main core of the, of the band. And then a number of different uh, players came in and out. I won't list them all, but uh, came in and out over the, over the, over the period of the 80s, really. And uh, to the point that in um, 1985, they actually recorded for the first time, after all these singles and everything, for the first time, they actually recorded an album. Um so that that has that wasn't out until eighty five, you know. So it took some time to get there. And uh, yeah, they also had in eighty five they had a single called Switch On, Switch Off.
And that, obviously, the record company had high hopes for that. But again, again, didn't get it anywhere at all. So, and it was really sort of towards the end of the 80s that they obviously uh, sort of finally kind of gave up the goat and sort of left you that. Right. And um, what about live? Were they gigging around? What was the... Uh, yeah. So, I mean, the first ever gig was actually on New Year's Day in 1980 in a pub in Mansfield. Um, and then their first headlining gig, right? Get this right. They were supported by Blumange. No. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing, isn't it? Huh. Um, uh, they supported Duran Duran on Duran on, on Duran's first ever tour. And they also supported Culture Club and did a whole load of uh, stuff themselves, European tour, okay. North America tour, and so on, as I mentioned. Yeah, so they did a lot of stuff. We're talking about the 80s here, obviously. Um, they they did. They have resurfaced since then uh, a, a number of times over the years, actually, and, in fact, are still even gigs quite recently. So they're, they're still gigging, still putting stuff out. But um, back in the 80s, they also did a John Peel session okay. uh, in March 81, yeah. and. Just the one, yeah, and okay. uh, one's one's better. I'll be happy with one. Yeah, so would I. Um, so would yeah. I. <laughs> um, they also got into John Peel's Festive Fifty in nineteen eighty one. But yeah, so they've sort of popped up up, up over the years, and sort of I say they've they've done some gigs quite recently as well. So that's 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 the potted history. Yes. Oh, okay. Brilliant. Oh, interesting. Well, after the after the uh, the sort of eighties band or the eighties lineup split. And sort of after they, they split at the end of the 80s. Uh, so Graham uh, joined the Slaughterhouse Five and had two singles and an album. Okay. Um, uh, there was one of the, you know, these revolving players that came in and out after 83, a guy called uh, Mike Pedden. Uh, he he actually went on after his time in the B-movie to become a record producer and he produced the Lighthouse Family album. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Oh, that's, but, um, yeah, yeah most interesting. And but the one that, uh, well, I suppose, I say the one, no, they've all done very well. I'm not going to say pick anyone for doing particularly well. But Paul, uh, uh, he, he actually uh, did some work with Pete Murphy from Bauhaus. But mm-hmm. then he went on to work writing stuff for Dido. And he actually wrote the title track of her debut album, No Angel, which has sold almost 20 million copies. How about that? <laughs> it's all in the songs now. It's all in the songs. songs. Now, Steve, he's done some stuff as well, but why don't we ask him about it? Tell us about how the band was formed, how B-Movie was formed. Yeah, um, uh, it's kind of uh, a long time ago, 19. We're not actually sure even when it was, uh, what year it was. It's kind of circa now, you know, that word circa, sort of like circa 78, 79. It's like... uh, um, I think it was. Uh, I think it was seventy-eight. Actually, um, I, I'm. I still can't, can't exactly pinpointed it. But um, yeah, I, I was. Uh, you know, um, at school um, in Mansfield Woodhouse in in Nottinghamshire, um, and um, um, kind of merrily going, getting on my education, I suppose. Um, uh, my dad was actually headmaster of the school I was at, so it oh, wow. was. Uh, I was. I was. Uh, you know. Uh, really my 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 pathway in life wasn't destined towards towards rock and roll and punk rock but there we go that was the way the way um things worked out um and i was you know i i was into sort of like usual stuff in the 70s you know kind of prog rock and kind of you know sort of um bowie bit of bowie and stuff like that and it was um 
sort of punk arrived in Mansfield a bit later than probably, you know, sort of, um, you know, <laughs> I was, it's kind of it's sort of the, the ripples kind of got to us eventually, you know. I think we could uh, say the same in uh, Luton and Northampton, respectively, yeah. <laughs> Luton and Northampton. Yeah, yes. respectively, yeah. Uh, and there was... Um, so there was a there were a couple of punk bands in Mansfield. Uh, one was called Alleyway Alleyway Art, and uh, another called The Aborted. And I was um, I was I got uh, I got to know um, Paul Statham, who was the um, who was in The Aborted actually because he was at school with me. I didn't particularly like him to be honest with you. We didn't get on very well. Uh, we kept our distance, uh, uh, and so we didn't really know each other that well. And then. Uh, I, I went to see them play. I was I got into '78. I got into bands like Ultravox, you know, John Fox era. Brilliant. Uh, kind of, it sort of really resonated with me. That kind of, um, I suppose it was it was more art, uh, a little bit art because I was into art at school and stuff. It was just a bit more kind of got to me. I loved I loved punk and I loved all the all the rush of that as well. But um, um, I like that kind of sort of futuristic kind of um, vibe, post-apocalyptic, whatever you might call it, vibe that they were they were they were coming from. It was it was uh, it really struck a chord with me, and uh, I got talking to Stat, as his name is Paul Paul Statham Stat at school, and we st- we st- we used to run discos in uh, at uh, lunchtime, um, and just playing punk, new wave, bit of BGS, you know, uh, you know, uh, things like that. You know, it was all kind of mixed up. Um, anyway, eventually, uh, Paul uh, left school uh, mysteriously. He didn't come back. And then the next thing um, I hear is that his band are playing at uh, in Warsop at, uh, at a, a place called the Tudor Barn, the, the Aborted and Alleyway Art, the only two punk bands in Mansfield. So um, so I kind of went along. I kind of wrote, had a white shirt with I Want to Be a Machine on it. And I, I got oh, Ultravox. Yeah. yeah, and I kind of cut it up like so it was... And I, my dad had to give me a lift to town, so I had kind of disguised myself in a big overcoat. Uh, anyway, got there and there was a gathering of um, of, um, of interested people, and and uh, yeah, they, they anyway. Uh, sorry, I bought it. Went on stage first, and um, um, you know, from the first chord, it was right. It was really that sort of uh, you could almost fear the tension and fear in the air. It was like, and I think that was probably coming back from the the the, the band more than anything else. And um, I remember stack uh, collapsed on stage after about the third or fourth number and had to be carried off so right. it was like um it was a kind of the first time i'd seen um you know like i think the gig before that had been rush at the manchester apollo so it was like a new sort of like um thing and it was um it was you know it was aggressive it was loud it was noisy it was you know it was uh it was visceral and uh and um and i thought well you know it's not not really my cup of tea in a way because i you know and then the next thing i i was at a school party and paul came up to me and um I, and i saw these plastic sandals coming towards me across the across the floor and i was sitting at the the uh, the, the the sink having a um, glass of really horrible wine and he he just said to me he had his punk hair and he had kind of this kind of um sort of um utility um kind of uh, uh, sort of military vibe clothes and just said do you want to join the band uh and as because our bass player has injured himself has fallen off stage and do you want in, do you want to join the band so i basically thought about it and um i thought you know why me um you know why me i don't know we shared an interest in in music uh, and the next thing he said um come along to the rehearsal so i went i went along to the rehearsal in Mansfield and um I borrowed a bass guitar I couldn't play bass I borrowed a bass off my sister's boyfriend who's in a heavy metal band and uh I turned up 
uh, expecting the, the singer to be there. The singer wasn't there. Um, and uh, I just basically, they got me to plug the bass in. Um, we started chugging a chord. Graham was there, the drummer, and we, we started um, doing um, um, a, a something a, a, a approximating music. And then uh, at the end of that, sort of like um, Paul just stuck a microphone in front of my face and said, right, now can you sing over it now? So um, uh, I, I said, well, why not? So anyway, kind of it just it was this. We just played this descending chord, and I just started to sing uh, the word frustration. It came out. I don't know. It must have been. It must have been how I was feeling at the time. Because anyway, so at the end of it, I kind of, you know, that was it. We just agreed to we'd see each other again. So I, I'd kind of turned from being, you know, I turned to being this sort of like you know Phil Linnett type of character who played bass and sang and in B movie and that was it we we sort of then started to we rehearsed a, a local pub in Warsaw called the dog and rabbit uh and um the three of us and we called ourselves studio 10 uh, after um this hairdressing salon in mansfield so we changed the name from the aborted i i couldn't really sing their songs you know like you know i i just gotta get out of bed pubs been up in an hour or more since you took my <laughs> girlfriend there ain't nothing worth living for it didn't really feel right coming out of my mouth you know what I mean so I kind of had to kind of we had to kind of um I, I was more into like uh Salvador Dali you know born in figure ass in 1904 second son of a wealthy lawyer that was my kind of lyrical approach but so it was a bit it was a bit different so we changed our name to Studio 10 because it and then and then during art class I saw a, a book about Andy Warhol and it had a one of his paintings called Blue Movie and I thought hmm that sounds like that looks like a good name for a band. So um, I, I, I thought Blue Movie might be a little bit too risque, so I just took the took the blue out and put it B. And, wow. and I didn't have I didn't really know what a B movie was, but that was where the band name came from. So we that's where we got we got going. Yeah. So um, you you started playing non synth music initially, didn't you? And I know obviously, for example, Refugee. Um, so what bands influenced you to then take up the sort of synth sound? Well, I, I think um, we were always in. We all we were always into um, like synth sounds. I mean, I used to go around to Paul's house, and um, we used to listen to you know like Simple Minds and and, and magazine, and and we we we, we right and, and particularly Tubeway Army. That was kind of our sort of another of our bands that we really loved, and you know, um, the, the we were managed at the time by a local miner who who wanted us to to wear parkers and because he was into mods, so he, he right. kind of we. We organised a you know, kind of photo shoot where we 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 pose against the Parker and everything. So but we were resistant to that because we were into Tubeway Army and wearing eyeliner and glittery ties and stuff like that. So it didn't kind of work out. Um, but um, yeah, initially I suppose it was we were just you know we were just con constrained by our, by the fact that there was only three of us um, and um, and and we got we 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 started to play locally uh like local swimming bats uh, miners galas boy boys brigades things like that just to kind of get the uh get get some experience of playing live um and um i i think then then we then our manager got a trailer on the back of his car and um that that meant that we could get our gear further afield to to like you know like exotic places like lincoln so we ended up playing right. in uh, uh we ended up playing in a place called the vaults in lincoln which is like a cavernous underground place with full of skinheads and it was horrible. But anyway, we used to set up by the cigarette machine and 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 and, and in the corner and cower usually. And then we we also supported bands like Angelic Upstarts at the time at the Nottingham Sandpiper. And so it was kind of 
we're in a kind of new wave vibe and it, and it was slightly incongruous with the kind of with the bigger vision that we had for 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 the music that we loved and what we wanted to do so we were weren't very good musicians well I wasn't anyway um particularly good musician or singer even um and we've been looking for a singer actually whilst that 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 whole period was going on we were we were looking to evolve in that way yeah with with um with um the music had just had just I, I think had um we went we did a little demo in Mansfield at a four track studio one of the songs was a kind of scar song and then another couple were kind of these um very basic pop songs and then on the the, the guy said um well I've got a I've got a keyboard here um why don't we put a little bit of strings on this song and let's see how it goes and he put so we put a we put some strings on the song and it sort of it suddenly lifted it it lifted it up a lot um I think he had a lot of sympathy for us the guy in the studio he didn't charge us for the session because he I think he thought wow. we, we, you know we were so bad so uh and that, that that kind of you know then we did a couple of um we did um we did, we did a couple of tracks on a on the Lincoln Independent uh, the the East album Refugee Man on the Threshold and I think one of the reviews said that um that uh, we suffered from a lack of internal momentum or something like that that the song was um, falling apart I mean that's wow. it felt that there was something that kind of needed to gel the band's sound something that needed to there was a bit of a um, yeah bit of a hole. that it was time to 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 advertise for a for like a keyboard player i think it was um we'd 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 sort of reached i think they as far as we probably could have gone as a three-piece band at that time um and we needed something to elevate the sound to to a different level so we put an advert in the local paper and we got one one reply from a guy called rick holiday and I, he was in before he even auditioned because I liked I liked his name because it sounded quite like a rock star name. So, actually, just on the angelic upstarts, I read a little bit about that gig, and they disliked you. Is probably an understatement. <laughs> Do you want to tell us just a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, um, I, I just remember being in the in the in the in the, in, in the dressing room, and you know, we were we were like eighteen, you know, kids basically, and the sort of like my girlfriend was there and everything, and we were. We were literally just cowering in the corner in the, of the dressing room, and Mency walked in. I think they played two set. I can't remember, but the, you know, he walked in bed. He, he sort of like 
you know, no shirt on, sort of like, you know, came back in and started spitting and say, I'm re-fucked, you know, it was like, you know, and it was kind of, and I was just thinking, and I was thinking, God almighty, he's got a song called Student Power Fucking Shower. And if he's going to, you know, if he's going to sort of like, you know, turn and, 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 and on me then, because I was a student at the time, I was, I was, I just started to, at uh, Lanchester Polytechnic doing um, media, well, communication studies at the time, sort of thing. I thought, I was kind of, I was a bit like scared. I know, you know, on stage we did get quite a lot of, um, shall we say, um, fairly rough treatment from the audience. Um, how were those early gigging days? You know, were you on the circuits? How, you know, what, how was it working? Yeah. Well, initially, like I said, it was like, um, it was just local, local gigs in the Mansfield area, then uh, Nottingham, of course, and then Lincoln. We then, we did, we'd done nothing else uh, uh, at all uh, until Steve-O came along. Uh, and that's when, um, that's when we stopped. We played in London for the first time when he became our, well, he wasn't officially our manager at the time, but I just handed him a demo tape of one of our, at a, he was at Redford Porterhouse, which was a, the local, great local venue. Um, and uh, Cabaret Voltaire were playing there with other, and um, and I and I'd seen in the sounds he has a, he had a chart, futurist chart, and uh, so and it, and, it, and I also saw that he was advertising for bands to play at the Chelsea Drugstore in London. So it was like that was I felt the opportunity for the for us now because we were now four piece for us to be able to to actually we were developing enough now to get out of uh, out of the local area and play. And play London so I handed him a demo tape at the gig he was there a DJ and then he phoned me up the next day and and said um you know I really in this I, I really like that it's you know I can't I can't do a Cockney accent so anyway but I really like that and he said he he, he said you sound a bit like Hawkwind to me you know you should be wearing uh, you know silver suits and furry boots that's what his, his comment was and um so um but I'll I'll put you I'll put you on in London do you want to come and play in London so um we yeah we said yes and the next thing we were we were playing at Cunningtown Bridge House uh, with uh, with a new band called Blamond supporting us I think it was wow. their first gig um, yeah there was like nobody there you know but it was like it was it was our first introduction to to London so through his connection we started to play we played a, a, a two day futurist festival at the, at the Clarendon in Hammersmith. Um, we, I think I can't remember the date. But it was bands like Clock DVA were playing, DAF, um, Naked Lunch, Bad Gadget. So there was there was there was a bunch of bands playing there, and I was very excited there because I mean that was um, that was like um, I remember being, being in the toilet and I was you know having a pee and then Billy Curry walked in from Ultravox and just oh, wow. know, right next to me and it was like like I, I don't know it's not like one of those things where you, you look around and say. You know, you meet your idol in certain certain places, but I met him in a urinal, kind of like, you know, <laughs> I just want to say how much I love your music. And he looks at me and says, oh, yeah, OK. <laughs> um, it's kind of one of those slightly embarrassing kind of moments. But um, but that was great because, you know, Susie and the Banshees were there and all the other sort of kind of bands at the time. So that yeah. was the beginning of the kind of the Steve-O period where things started to, to pick up. And then, you know, when we got a deal, when when we signed to Some Bizarre and we got we got a deal, then we got an agent um, on board, and then they started to um, book us, um, you know, uh, throughout throughout the UK. So yeah. yeah. So when you when you signed to Some Bizarre, um, I read there was some kind of 
thing about an interdependence about you getting your contract with soft sell getting their contract i didn't quite understand do you, can you explain what that was <laughs> steve-o was um negotiated some some deal um with uh, roger ames and tracy bennett uh, whatever it was whoever where they were that that um that there would be they would sign both bands um uh, I don't know whether there was a it was a kind of condition like buy one get one free type of thing you know sort right, of yeah. like but you know it was kind of I, I, at the time you know I remember I I was always shocked that anyway that they would want to sign B movie because I was always you know I thought Remembrance Day you got you got to be kidding no one's gonna that's not a single you know in a million years that's um, you know uh, I, I, but yeah that's what that's the song that they were really into and then um, the next thing we got the we got the go ahead. We got to, we were going to record it, and um, and uh, yeah, and I so I but I really honestly have no idea. The, the, there is, yeah, there is that that sort of like um, what it is a myth, I suppose that that Softcell only got a deal because of us. I I don't know whether that's the case or not. So wow, wow. I'd rather think it wasn't, but there we go. Who knows? <laughs> song has, has, has lasted hasn't it it's interesting what you were saying about oh you weren't sure if it was going to be a uh, you know a single or not but that song seems to have had some real longevity yeah uh which it's, it's a probably probably a consolation because it wasn't um it wasn't a it wasn't a hit at the time although one has to say it did exceed certainly exceeded my expectations i was certainly not expecting to be sort of like talking about potentially being on top of the pops with 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 the song about you know war uh, like that it wasn't we were 
very close to that. Um, I think uh, the theme obviously is 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 pretty sort of eternal. It's not gonna, you know, it's not um, it's it it it, it a last theme. It's still relevant as much as it, it today as it was then. I mean, obviously more, but. I think that post punks that, that you know that that I mean Mike Thorne uh, produced Wire and um, you know he was very very sort of like um, you know this post punk sound and I think that that um, you know the the synth sound the analog synth sound that we used and and uh, you know it's, I think it just it, it I, I have to say I mean obviously I think it personally I myself I you know I think it's the best thing we ever did myself um, you know and, I, and 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 so I look at that song and I think well yeah it, may, it deserves probably deserves the long the longevity because it is a it is a it is a good it's a good song it's a good tune and everything so I'm very proud of it and uh, you know I think it was just one of the few times when I've actually been in a studio where I've kind of thought you know I, this is this is perfect. You know, there's nothing about this that I would actually um, kind of change. Um, you know, it's I don't know. Maybe it's just the un, the fact that the it's a it was it's an un, it it wasn't a hit. Maybe that is something that I don't know. Maybe just it's it's an underground cult kind of song, I suppose. You know, and that songwriting process then, obviously, I agree with you. It is a banging tune. Um, but that songwriting process, how did that how did that sort of evolve? Yeah, that. Um, I think I I think I I I, I wrote that that song um, towards the end of 1979 I think which was around about the Remembrance Day time in November I think I can't remember exactly but you know I was I was sort of um, I was writing stuff I mean before that it had been quite real hit and miss um, things and it was just uh, you know sort of sixth form poetry some of it to be honest with you mixed in with you know some very naive kind of lyrics about about this and that and um and 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 you know so so i sort of i was was uh you know wanting to kind of get um improve my my lyric writing and songwriting and i think there was this kind of well i i, I had a five string acoustic guitar that i got from Woolworths, which uh you know and so i it's only had five strings so i, I was only able to really to to use and i couldn't play very well so only i was only able to use the top three strings so i i used the top three strings to sort of like work i had this book this chord book and i used to work out chords on the top three strings and so i was playing around with a d minor and then i just took my one finger off and then it and then another another one off and then then I just instead of strumming the chords, I just picked the chords, and then I came up with this melody, these ten, this ten note da, 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 thing that came up, uh, and and it sounded, it just I don't know, it just it it kind of came uh, came to me that it was kind of a bit similar to the you know the last post, and and, and you know I'd I'd been brought up on my you know my dad was in the fought in the war, so he was um, I'd kind of been brought up on his war stories and. Um, uh, and everything so I was very much um that was in the back of my mind we used, there's a there was a local where I lived there was a local uh, there was um a cadet an army cadet um school and they used to have remembrance day uh marches I suppose uh, to, uh, to to the to the to the church and lay a lay a lay a lay a wreath and uh so we used to go up I used to go and watch it and and you know I found it quite you know interesting you know it was with the, the the drums and the the the, the pipe the, the the bugle and all that sort of stuff there was something about it resonated with me i suppose it all came together in that song you know 
I think it, um, even now it has that resonance, doesn't it? I mean, I, I mean, certainly I've researched my grandfather and been to Epen to the Somme, and you know the, the lyrics, you know, actually, you know, will will last the test of time in themselves, if you know what I mean by that. Very great song, Thanks. great song. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe the maybe lyrically it was um, it was um, you know what it was a. It was um, um, a, bit, a little bit, con maybe uh, controversial. It's not. It doesn't seem particularly controversial because there's nothing in the song that's kind of like political. Uh, it's not a political song. Um, it's more of like an 18 year old uh, trying to come to terms with, with you know, um, the, uh, the notion of having to fight. Probably if I was called up and stuff, or what you know, the the, the futility of, of of or or whatever. Not necessarily futility, but the loss involved. In, in in war and stuff and and but you know the time or um was um you know was quite was quite turbulent in in england in 19 early 1981 you know you had the uh ira hunger strikes there was the um there's the brixton toxteth riots um there was a lot of things going on that were that were sort of challenging challenging times you know maybe i mean one of the things that one of the reasons i thought why the song didn't get to into the top 40 was it was that i think that you know we didn't get the radio one daytime play you know and the, your simon bates or whoever it is at the time might read or whoever it might have been um um well we because the content was probably too down too a bit too gloomy for for people to to wake up to in the morning you know uh, i don't know whether that is the case but you know we certainly were getting plays on John Peel and 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 later on in the in the evening on you know Peter Powell and Kid, Kid Jensen and all those sort of DJs later on in the evening. Richard Skinner, they were all really into that. I think Richard Skinner said it's the best song he's heard literally for you know years. I think it was I think it was one of his quotes, but but it wasn't breaking through into the into the into daytime at all. Um and I think that we kind of we ran against the buffers then because I think that We'd come out. We'd come out of it uh, from one angle, which was a sort of like, you know, um, kind of alternative sort of indie kind of John Peel kind of sort of area arena, and then and then we'd arrived at um, into the mainstream, and, and 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 I think that you know we we was we we then were swallowed up in the kind of in the record company kind of. Um, 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 marketing machine really after that I think it's sort of like um, um, it, it, it became um, I mean Steve-O was always challenging trying to challenge um, you know the status quo and that's what that was his whole reason for being was he you know he was there he was a disruptor and he, you know, that was what he was doing disrupting but at the end of the day you know you needed you needed you needed to be mar the marketing department at the, at the major labels in, to get your to get your get out get your get your sales uh, and stuff. So I, I, I don't know. Um, we all ended up having we all ended up begging to be on Smash Hits front cover of Smash Hits, or and it suddenly become it became Jackie, then it became Oh Boy, and then it became you know this and that, and it's quite hard then to start squaring your kind of radical kind of sort of like um, agenda with. I mean, some bands did it at the time really quite well, but um, but you know, there was it was um, it was it was um, it was it was it was fun, I suppose. I mean, I'm not decrying it, but um, 
So like Nowhere Girl, obviously that's the one that seems to be uh, that people talk about the most, I think, these days. I think it perhaps uh, I might be wrong here, but it seems like uh, it's, it's 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 really well appreciated in the states because uh, you toured there a bit as well, didn't you? Yeah, um, yeah, it was recently name checked in uh, Brett Easton Ellis's new book, The Shards. It was in it was in there. So um, and you know, there's an American author called um, Mary Gateskill. She's she's written an essay about Nowhere Girl. So it kind of it's 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 a weird one, really. It's um, it was like um, I think California, but mainly K Rock Radio in in LA, sort of really kind of started playing like I think the 12 inch version and it, and it you know remembers they had done all right in um in the college radio circuit and we we toured there in in 82 and but it was um it was after then that that when Nowhere Girl started to get some some play and in the club and the club DJ started to play it that um yeah that the things started to 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 pick up um with that song and so yeah we we toured there another couple of times um in the States. song is, is is more successful really in the states and um like europe than it is in the uk i mean it's like it's it's almost when we do when we when we we haven't played america actually for for 40 years so i mean i don't know what it's like these days but i mean certainly when we go to spain you know it's kind of because it was a hit out there you know people kind of go crazy for that song um when we play it in the uk it's not seen probably remembrance day is more successful i, I don't know but it's just I think it's just again, it's one of those, it's one of those, the 80s being, it's been the 80s being so, you know, kind of, it's it's just one of those songs that kind of got lost in the sort of like the, you know, the 80s, I suppose. And it's, um, you know, it, it's a cult hit, really. That's, that's it. You know, it, it, it it's, um, but, but yeah, still gets, still gets a lot of, um, um, yeah, still gets a lot of big um, high fives in the States whenever we, you know, Maybe we sort of say we're going to come back and play. You know, I, I was thinking I went to the Philippines actually recently, and it's, again, it's that it's, it's just that that's that's how always amazing me how you know the band 
despite our sort of like, shall we say, modest uh, commercial success, is able to play in kind of all over the world, really, just on the strength of um, you know one or two songs. It's, it's, it's incredible. Yeah. One of the trends that we've seen with some of the bands that we've, we've been sort of, or we've, either we featured or we plan to feature, is that sort of some of that commercial success, you know, is maybe peripheral rather than the mainstream. But you, you guys seem to have been able to get over some of those earlier setbacks where maybe things didn't chart that you thought they would, or, or um, and you're still, you're still relevant, or you're still going today. How do you account for that, that difference? You know, why did, why have you, why have you managed to keep, keep going? Burning, burning anger, kind of, uh, yeah. <laughs> refusal to. Uh, to sort of give in until the world actually finally sort of like uh, you know says hey okay yeah you you were right all along Steve yeah we were wrong yeah come on in you know that's what I'm waiting for no I, I'm not no it's not it's honestly not but um I don't know I mean t- t- we we're not because you know the, we were obviously disappointed when when Nowhere Girl didn't chart in the UK I mean we thought that was that you know really um. Uh, you know, I, I think, um, uh, I've long since, long since reconciled. You know, the myself to, to that. Um, I'm not bitter in the slightest. Um, you know, we could have done things differently. You can only look at what you, you know yourself and what 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 we did, and you know, maybe you know, maybe we could have done made decisions which 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 would have. For instance, doing Nowhere Girls as a follow-up single to Remembrance Day rather than Marilyn Dreams, Marilyn which, Dreams. which yeah. didn't do very well at all. Um, I think we just we kind of we had a window of opportunity, and it was it was a very very small window to be honest. It, it opened in January uh, 1981, and it closed in January 1982. Sort of like you know, so it was it was just a, a very very small a small window, but. Um, success is a difficult one how to how to judge success and i, I just I, I wonder about that um really sometimes uh you know um because people normally think of success in terms of obviously you know uh, hits and record sales and stuff like that i am very i'm just very grateful now that i can we 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 um you know we're able to um still keep playing we we all the shows this year have been sold out we're still we're still alive and kicking um you know there's lots of if buts and maybes what might have happened if you know um but you can't let that you know well you a know. couple of uh a couple of friends of mine from northampton gav and ricky used to do an indie disco and they would tell you to today even one of the biggest most popular songs was marilyn dreams and they were completely mystified why they didn't get anywhere as you must have been it's it's you know it's a banging tune. It's uh, so strange this thing. You know these things just didn't ignite yeah. more than they did. You know. Your house 
yeah, it's it's it, it is um it's it, it's it's one of it's a fan's favorite. It's it's funny. It is it is a fan's favorite. Um, and uh, the record company didn't want to release it. We were a bit of a we were a little bit of a, a loggerheads with them uh, because they wanted us to do Nowhere Girl, and um, I think that you know I was keen to. Uh, to 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 write new stuff. Uh, it it seemed to be that we were going back to to the the old Dead Good Records era all the time. You know, kind of oh, we're going to oh, let's re-record Remembrance Day. Oh, no, let's re-record Nowhere Girl. Oh, 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 let's re-record you know uh, Institution Wars. Let's you know it's like let's just. I mean, I I see that these days as being sort of you know probably in industry in 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 in, in you know makes sense in, in 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 a way uh but um industry wise but but for me i was looking i wanted us to do to do like an album i i i, I we, we got this record deal um and it seemed to me it was just like oh we'll see how this single goes and then you know if that single does well enough you, you'll have the opportunity to do another single and that didn't really sound like biggest record deal since the rolling stones to me you know it no. sounded like um you know we'll see you know we'll, we'll see how you go type of thing and 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 i thought well if we're gonna you know well i i so i thought well let's write something new and let's um you know let, let's get let's let's get the album under our belt and i think that was you know what um what 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 I I I'd hoped. I think again, you know, band can go down. We can look at all all as, uh, factors or of history and think, well, things might have been different. I mean, obviously, Soft Cell then suddenly had a massive hit, um, and you know, the, the 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 there was there was. I mean, they recorded Tainted Love in the same studio um, as us at the same time with the same producer. We would finish our session because we were paying for the session, and then. Um, soft cell would come in after us and do tainted love um because it was a very it was obviously a m much more economical way of doing they don't have a full band and all that so i said my thought would just carry on with them and that was um that was the way that happened i think that obviously as soon as that record came out and it became such a big hit i think that steve-o's attention obviously i suppose moved very much in that direction and i think we felt left behind I mean, I made no bones about it. By the time we got to December '81, you know, we were on. You know, we were just wondering whether we were actually had got a record deal anymore. I think it was. I think we need at the moment, probably in that sort of like period um, after Remembrance Day had done quite well, it exceeded expectations. We probably just needed somebody there to actually say, "Look, guys, you know, this is what we're going to do. This is the plan. This is your, this is your next single. You know." we're going to be doing an album here and that, that never happened. So yeah, we kind of, I suppose, yeah. I was just reminiscing uh, about a gig we did at the Bandouche in Paris. I just posted something on Facebook yesterday and it was, um, you know, it was kind of, and I was just thinking that on that particular day, I think it was, um, we got no, we got Steve-O phoned up and said, um, you know, you've got uh, the go ahead to, to do nowhere go. And I remember thinking, wow, that's great. We've actually, you know, we're actually um, still got a record deal because um, before then it felt like you know it was it was kind of all over really weirdly even though we'd only just kind of arrived on the scene. So, is your your fan base is is, is obviously as you said you're still selling out uh, places. It's obviously very loyal. Um, does it stay pretty much the the sort of same, or is it growing, or does it change, or is, or is it um, you know you've got 
you know, that you've got the... the older. <laughs> yeah, well, yes, uh, as we all it are. Is, it is, it is. Um, it, 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 well, um, yeah, I mean, we, we notice people from all age groups. I mean, that's kind of like saying... A, I mean, maybe they're the sons and daughters of the of our the, of our fans. I don't know, but uh, but um, I think that um, certainly Nowhere Girl has become a sort of anthem um, in the the dark wave scene in in Europe, particularly in in Germany. So we do get lots of you know people that associate that song, you know, in that in that genre. So you, we do get more goth crowd which is funny because we're not sort of we're not really a, we're not really a goth band um you know um but that is a kind of alienation type of anthem which kind of resonates with 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 lots of younger people today and it's again it's one of those themes that seems to sort of like that's why maybe it's nowhere else again remained pretty relevant um you know um so it's it's like um i mean obviously yeah on the whole people the the audience are going to be sort of you know people who remember the who remember the times in the eighties or, or 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 you know were able to um, you know listen to 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 that music in the in 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 the eighties eighties and nineties you know we have been we've been reformed now since two thousand and four we've done sixty gigs so there's a kind of sense that you know that that um, you know that there's the the there's um the the music is um as as is benefiting from 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 live work. So I tr- with climate of fear, I would try it was trying to make it as live sounding as possible, really, you know, um, rather than like a studio project, which was just you know, um, so yeah, it was a kind of it was quite a live uh, idea, and I think that's the, what what we'll do with the next one as well. Climate of fear. regarded i think you probably describe yourself as a wine educator and you wrote a book yeah. about drawing parallels between the the process of trying to perfect making great wine to actually being in a band and the sort of challenges that that faced do you want to tell us about it well it's not very original it's called the grape escape one man's journey okay. from vinyl to vine i think it was um just just as a period in my life in the early 2000s i i i, I kind of B movie were not well. I wasn't doing any music really. I mean, although we'd done this one-off show at the 
at the metro in london um in, in uh, there wasn't really much happening and i kind of i'd been involved in the wine world for a while about 10 years up to that point and um and kind of i'd i developed a real kind of interest for it and um and i i've been lucky enough to go to the south of france uh few times and um and and got to know a few people of you know people in the in the wine world wine world down there and um i don't know i just it kind of felt that that making making something like making wine was not too dissimilar to like making a record i know i signed obviously the processes are completely different but but uh, you know it's, it's, it was about that being being creative about about uh, producing something with a label with your name on it that you created um uh, uh, felt a similar sort of to to making a record so I set out with the idea that I was gonna um yeah I was gonna make um I was gonna make my own kind of you know limited edition sort of uh 300 bottle kind of like a three hundred short run of vinyl, so I kind of came, went out with that attitude. So bringing music into the into into the process, um, so yeah, um, and um, what it turned out again, it was it was more of a, a with the adventure was more of a kind of was more like challenge really for for me to be able to see something through to the finish because I think at the time I was kind of feeling a bit like slightly lost and I just wanted to I wanted to I wanted to start something but kind of finish it you know and like um because i remembered when i when we released our first single take three ep on the dead good records um we we did we started that we went we recorded it and i remember still to this day probably my most thrilling moment of my life well not obviously in, in, in the music world anyway was was uh was receiving that that little cardboard uh you know like envelope with the with the take three p and i took it out and i I smelt the vinyl and I could see my name there and it was just it just really meant uh meant everything uh to me at the time and I so that, so that was just parallels with, with that approach really um uh you know and and so it was it was it was a great it was a great fun it was a good adventure you know I managed to I managed to to, to borrow a vineyard for a year um managed to vandalize it most, most to be honest but anyway um and um you know it was it was um and it felt the book is a kind of sort of there's a bit of sort of um memoir in there kind of like sort of mixing in with the how did i get here you know the the sort of like so it begins in the studio where we're recording remembrance day and it's like you're saying that you are you know this is you are the you know the next big thing this is going to be you, you know this is going to be massive and all that stuff and then and then, then sort of weaving the book, the 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 the, the narrative of the of, of the winemaking with with flashbacks to 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 the B movies kind of career really, and how it kind of went up, and then it kind of then it then it then it went down, and I left, and and I had to get a job in the early nineties. Well, I had to get a job. I mean, uh, I had to sort of like um, kind of face after sort. of, over a decade or so with a record label and stuff like that to to gain to hit in the real world and sort of like and and so I um you know and so it charts all that 
Um, just got one one last question, if that's okay. Um, one we're asking everybody, so we have a there's a bit of a sort of re- regular thing, and that is um, if you can just think back and say what your your greatest memory is of the time, um, whether it's just in the 80s, that's fine, or or uh, up to today is is up to you. But what what's your greatest memory so far in the music world? Yeah, in the, in the band. Yeah. Um, well. I mean, I, 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 it, it would have to go a bit. There's a, there's a few, a few, um, uh, for me. But um, you know, I'm, I'm going back to that early part of, uh, you know, like, like 1981, really. Um, uh, I, I mean, the, the sudden, uh, very sudden nature of the, of being thrust into, into the, into the, into the, into the, into the, the recording world there. So, I mean. Perhaps it would be something like you know supporting Duran Duran on their first UK tour, for instance, which was uh, in in March eighty one, where we kind of were there at the sundown, and um, you know we're backstage with you know and and we're sort of we're all in the same kind of dressing room, you know, with with um, kind of on the same literally the same level. I mean, they were they were they were they were obviously there it was before Planet Earth came out, but. So it was still packed. Uh, there was a lot of a buzz going on about it. So, so, but that that was like all that that rush of all that of that period and of what what was going on and was was quite incredible, really. Um, and um, so, yeah, I think that was probably that's probably you know what I would say. I mean, not, the, the gig we did with Rock City actually at the night after in Nottingham was probably better from our point of view. We we really, you know, the home crowd really cheered us on a lot. Uh, and um yeah so so those were those were great times yeah definitely yeah yeah okay brilliant well look i mean thank you so much for joining us we really appreciate it um you no you've been fantastic and brilliant. no worries no worries no worries guys thank you very much yeah mm-hmm.